0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University. I'm with Dr Barbarus, who is a senior lecturer and researcher in the School of Art at RMIT University. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Stephen.
0: I probably pronounced your name incorrectly. I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. It's Barbarus. Barbarus. Yes.
0: Terrible with names, but great with images. Ah. And when I saw the work that you're doing, that resonated and Fantastic. So I'm going to get to the, the tapestries that you've been working on, uh, in uh, which were recently unveiled in uh, Brussels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's just go back. <coughs> uh, you're a fine artist, fine painter, painter?
1: Yes, I am a painter, an installation artist, and I work with drawing. Uh, I, Stephen, you wanted to know where it started, yes. where it all started. you don't
0: have to start at three years old. But well, I have... will start at three years okay. old
1: because at three years old, uh, I loved ballet, and mm. I and my parents. My father was an Olympic weightlifter; yeah. he won the first uh, medal for weightlifting in Australian history. Wow! My mother was a painter and had a fantastic story. Um, but at three, I started classical ballet, and so I had uh, one ideal and one focus, and that was classical ballet. And I did that until I was eighteen. I had mm. no thoughts at all of being an artist. Uh, in when I was about eighteen, I uh, hurt my knee. And had some difficulty there. And uh, an Australian artist, a young man called Godwin Bradbeer, who many people would know, and Warren Brenninger, uh came to the studio, ballet studio in Little Trobe Street, took some photos. I saw their drawings and started drawing. And then within a year, I was at art school. Hmm. And so I transitioned straight from classical ballet and a whole lifetime of 16 years hmm. of study and training uh, into um, painting and making art that's amazing
0: yeah well my son's a dancer and uh, i can sympathize with the transition because it is a very hard career and injuries can change your life overnight
1: yes it was like a very bad breakup yeah. I couldn't listen to classical music for about four or five years. Yeah. So you started painful. painting, drawing
0: yes. and...
1: Making art, I uh, I had uh, a first relationship with a, an artist that many people would know, Robert Hunter. I was with Robert for yeah. around five years and we were in New York and I had the best uh, education. I think a young artist... He was like your mentor. It was wonderful. He was uh, in his uh, heyday in the New York and uh, Europe and I was with him. And uh, so basically I had a fantastic education, art education. Came back, and then as life goes on, things changed.
0: When, which period are we looking at? We're looking we? at
1: from roughly around 73 uh, into 76, 77. Hmm. Uh, and then I went to the VCA. I did a, a um, postgraduate diploma. And then I won the Keith and Elizabeth Murdoch Travelling Fellowship. And ended up in Paris for three years and I've sort of been traveling on and off ever since making work and uh, exhibiting
0: and teaching at RMIT both here and in Hong Kong
1: yes I've always lectured uh, on and off in art schools um I came to a permanent job though fairly late to about 2004 Um, I began with uh, Godwin Bradby, I was brought in, and Jim Taylor to start the drawing program at RMIT. And we worked together for 10 years, working on a fabulous uh, drawing program. Uh, I've been told it was actually one of the best in the world. They did get rid of it for some uh, uh, reason, only... I don't know who knows about this, but mm-hmm. they did. And, uh, and, but the history of the, the, that particular drawing course lives on in many students mm. who are now, you know, have one at the Royal College and another who has uh, represented her country at the Venice Biennale. There's many. This is mm-hmm. fantastic. So book.
0: tell me a bit about, fast forward, tell me a little bit about the tapestries which have just been unveiled in Brussels. Yes. Because how did you get into tapestries to start with?
1: Well, uh, in the early 80s, I began reading the Bible. I began, I read Revelation, and which is the, the apocalypse, the end of the world. Uh, and I started to become interested in the imagery and the ideas, the metaphysical ideas behind uh, the thinking within Revelation and an end. The idea of an end was, you know, sort of resonated with me. Uh, so we move on through time. I did a masters at the VCA. Then, uh, I did a post, a, uh, PhD at Victoria University. Um, it was their first visual arts PhD and it was the first time that you started to get faith and belief in a research project within a secular university. Very interesting and it was fantastic. And so I, my, uh, PhD was on the, Uh, figurative and abstract elements of the apocalypse and its representations. So, in 1998, I ended up in Angers in France, in front of the Angers tapestries of the apocalypse, uh, a late 14th century masterpiece. Uh,
0: So it's kind of almost coming home after all that research.
1: Well, I don't yes. know about coming yeah. home. I, I work in a lot of different media and yeah. tapestry I don't work in, yeah. but the actual outcomes of the apocalypse, tapestries, is one outcome. So I stood in front of this marvellous work and I just felt uh, it had moved me, you know, changed me, the scale of it, the, the clarity of it, the colour of it, uh, except that it was static and it, was, it just seemed to hang on the wall. And well, I started, the figures
0: just seemed flat.
1: No, mm. the idea... We live in a, um, a world full of kinesthetics and movement and colour and light and you entered into a very dark space and then the tapestry, because of the nature of it and the age of it, is illuminated in a certain way, but it sort of hung on the walls and you just read the pictures in a very flat type of manner. And as I was standing there, I started to envisage it in light... And something that would move. Um, I was totally taken by the fact that the body, when one is in front of that major tapestry, has to move. You have to look down, you have to look up because it's It's nearly 18 feet high. It's a massive thing. And um, so when I left there, I started, I just started having the idea of perhaps what if I made a tapestry that was that big? Never thinking that I would actually ever weave it, which I haven't. Mm. Uh, But the idea was there. And uh, the idea developed. Um, I did many light drawings that are on the net. Uh, I did lots of sort of rock and roll type prints of the apocalypse from the Angers tapestry in fluorescent colours. And my work was always very bright. And because of the training that I'd had as a dancer, Mm. there's always been movement involved. So who
0: actually produced those early tapestries for you?
1: Uh, Well, Rock and Roll Posters produced my posters, the same people that uh, produce the the posters that are around our streets. Uh, I wanted to get back into the broadsheet because broadsheets have a great history, you know, and uh, in a sense, if you looked at the... um, uh, the sort of undergirding of the idea you'd think, well okay then, well it's actually about me saying caution, caution on all levels uh, you know, this book is about the end of the world, it, it describes all the green grass being burnt off the earth, it describes our seas dying, it describes all of these things that we fear and we read about that type of fear in the newspapers. Yes. So it's a very contemporary thinking yes. that we have now, an end So that also, on an art level, became very important to me uh, because I think art, one, it takes risk. Good art takes risk. Uh, Another one is the fact that uh, it's often controversial. Like, who would ever think that a book out of the Bible could be controversial? But it is. It's a political... It's very political. So how did
0: you start developing towards what you're doing in Belgium? How do you start producing the... How, you mentioned the people who ended up making the tapestries for you. Uh, did Grace and Perry's tapestries as well? The same company.
1: Yes. Well, no, that was an end result. It started with uh, I first went to the Australian Tapestry Workshop because I'd made uh, uh, they had made some small tapestries of mine many years ago. Uh, and so we started to work with the Australian Tapestry Workshop in, in light because my works include fibres, actual light fibre. Waving um, through it. Yes, uh, but that light fibre is not within the tapestry. Mm. So I, we, I started to work with the Australian Tapestry with these uh, light fibres. Uh, and then in RMIT in 2009, I met Professor David Manwaring, And David is a scientist and he was working on phosphorescent uh, sort of experiments and uh, phosphorescent pigment uh, using nanotechnology. So it was cutting edge technology. And so we started working together and then... uh, we had uh, Professor Michelle Brown, whom I'd met in the uh, 1998. She was the uh, Professor of Illuminated Manuscripts at the British Library. She was the curator. And she uh, and I had both spoken then about the Book of Revelation. So Michelle now is the curator of, of the Tapestry of Light project. Um, We have uh, David Manwaring, who is the scientist, who's produced the phosphorescent thread, which is within the tapestry. Phosphorescent thread is like a a thread that's like a battery, and it pulls in natural light and then emits light. We see glow-in-the-darks everywhere, but this particular um, nanoscience, it's a battery that is slow-releasing. So it just lets the light out slowly. So it can last up to eight hours. So it's, it's a fantastic. Until um, the
0: light, until it receives until more it, light.
1: Yes, until it receives more light. Um, and so within the tapestry of light, there are three different forms of thread. There is natural thread, cotton, silk, beautifully coloured, highly coloured, especially dyed fluorescent uh, thread that lights up under UV light and the phosphorescent thread that glows in the dark and so the tapestry has three forms of vision if you could say
0: So it's really almost like a piece of animation
1: It does, although the the it the actual figures themselves don't yeah. move I would love to have done that but, but
0: it does get that resemblance of movement
1: Oh yes, you do very, very clearly You see uh, one, a very, very textured tapestry, which is interesting because that that's a risk, because I wanted a, a specific sense and feel to the tapestry, which wasn't like any of the other tapestries that were being produced on the loom that it was produced on in Flanders. Grayson Perry, Damien Hurst, Gerhard Richter, all of these artists, Julian Opie, their tapestries, although they were magnificent and beautiful, were still fairly, the textures were still fairly, Uh, flat or soft, I wanted a hardish texture. I wanted a hardish texture to this tapestry, one that was very gritty, Mm -hmm. not like a carpet.
0: Almost like street street art a little bit?
1: Yes, something that that resonated. Uh, And the most wonderful thing was actually uh, when we installed the tapestry, uh, there are LED lights on top to sort of give, you know, um, the tapestry light, but also to energise the phosphorescent. Um, And they were just a little bit too close to the surface of the tapestry. So we elongated the little things, and they became about maybe a centimetre from the surface. And as soon as they put them on, you could see the texture. And the texture is remarkable.
0: Irene, when I'm looking at this beautiful tapestry... um that's now in Belgium. It'll be travelling to Canterbury next.
1: Canterbury Cathedral.
0: And Canterbury Cathedral. So Robert Hunter was an early uh, partner. Yes. And but his work is almost just the opposite of these murals in terms of it's <coughs> so you know almost three well the three dimensional but very vibrant. His work was almost you know monochromatic.
1: Well, my husband Adrian Page. Uh, was a minimalist and worked with text. Mm. And uh, Robert, who was an early partner, minimalist also. So underneath, uh, even though I work with highly highly coloured works, multiple images, multiple objects, spaces, etc., uh, the underlying structure and the metaphysical types of ideas are very important to me. So in with this last... The, we're looking at the very last image in the entire uh, tapestries. There are there are six units of six metres each. There are 14 tapestries. The largest tapestries are three metres, 20 high by six metres long. They're massive, big tapestries, are very textured, highly coloured, with three layers of light involved in them. This one we're looking at is the final one that has the heavenly Jerusalem which comes down, which is the very last image. Um, and this is on a... <coughs> an elliptical type of composition the all the rest of the images are fairly uh, figurative although we do have some badges where I look at a little of a a little like haiku poetry in some of them.
0: Um, Irene how do they relate to the the original glass like when you're installing these massive tapestries you've got lead-like glass You've got certain features. How do they respond architecturally to the space?
1: Yes. Because, well, I mean,
0: how, who, who makes the call on how to, you know, work that all out? It's quite well, complicated.
1: the... <coughs> excuse me. The stained glass windows have similar colour to the tapestry of light. And when the UV lights are on, they're almost the same. Uh, The ideas of of light has have traveled through the centuries Uh, uh, Some ideas being natural light on the outside of the cathedral is the natural Mm -hmm. Normal light as it comes through the colored glass it becomes metaphysical and becomes uh, um, Transformed and then as it enters into the eye it illuminates it suddenly it becomes a a revelation it's important for me to get back to the idea of Revelation. Revelation is what this particular book is. Although the tapestries are not illustrations of Revelation, there is a tradition of cycles of the apocalypse. And so I've kept to the cycle, which is seen in the Angers tapestry. There are around 86 to 89 images. They're all in this tapestry. Uh, they, the images in the, epo- uh, the Angers apocalypse were massive, But they started off in tiny illuminated books. And so basically, I see these as the same images that have been small, enlarged, and then I've pulled them down again, a little bigger than what they were originally in the uh, manuscripts. Um, But this whole story of the apocalypse is there, the book of Revelation. Um, And so, if you want to read these images, uh, all of these small, very small images. Uh, taken from the Angers. So mm-hmm. you can read it sequentially from the very beginning all the way through. Uh, then I have uh, another layer, uh, which is the figurative layer. Uh, it was a, a quite a, um, a job to actually begin to think on how how, if you're thinking of doing something like the apocalypse, how do you actually build the context for it? If you're not illustrating it and so what I did I actually bought in four of my major paintings that I've done in my life over my last 40 years of painting <clears throat> uh, this one is the white horse that was at the National Gallery in one of the prizes <coughs> um, and so I used those as a sort of a, a central layer underneath I put thermals which are like our weather patterns so I irradiated everything with light and so they were landscapes and different uh, skyscapes, etc, etc. Um, and then I cut into them and, and pulled them apart so that this light would shine through the naturalish type of realm. And then over that I, I overlaid the Angers tapestries in these smaller formats, keeping to the same type of format as the Angers, only reduced in scale. Uh, then underneath the entire thing in the gl- phosphorescent uh, thread, I put the um, the large abstract structures that come from the Renaissance and come from uh, various forms of composition. And dotted in amongst it is a whole language of very small icons of the war war machinery and animals. And you can see these, you know, here's a few little animals. But if you actually begin to look within the tapestry, you'll find that uh, most of the uh, surfaces are are sort of dotted with.
0: Irene, what um, what was your reaction when you walked in for the first time and everything was up?
1: Well, my reaction started when I unfurled the tapestries because I hadn't seen them. Mm. And it was fantastic. I couldn't, they were just marvellous. They were, they were more than what I had expected. Uh, As I said, the textures were incredible in these, especially in the big figurative works. Every brush stroke is almost seen. So there are thousands of, the surface Mm. is made of thousands of moving elements of, of texture. Um, and then when we got them up, it's, they're, on, they're hanging on a fabulous German hanging system called Octonorm, which is very straightforward, very simple. They hang uh, centrally. They don't hang on a wall. Uh, my actual uh, idea is to work on the back. The back of these tapestries are very, very beautiful. They're very abstract. Uh, and they become a site for continual engagement. Um, So, whereas the front is finished and the front is figurative, the back is abstract Mm -hmm. and is a site for me to continue working with new um, technologies in thread work and uh, soft uh, textiles. The other thing
0: I was going to ask you, Irene, is I imagine this work is attracting a younger audience who perhaps wouldn't normally see tapestries in churches, cathedrals. Yes. I mean, has that happened in in Brussels? I would have thought so.
1: Yes. It's had hundreds and hundreds of people coming. I would have thought and, thousands uh, and thousands. Yes. And so, you know, I'm quite overwhelmed by the response to the tapestry. Uh, it's it 's it 's actually quite spectacular, even apart from just looking at it and knowing how it 's been made uh the actual when the lights the u v lights come on and suddenly these quite beautiful images and quite sort of strange images suddenly turn into dramatic you know sort of images or, that refer to the apocalypse then, you know, there's a shift involved.
0: I mean, light has such a huge impact on tapestries. Mm. It's part of London Design Week in September Mm. uh, last year. I was there, and for some of the major tapestries in one of the rooms at the V&A, they actually actually created a light show where these very dark tapestries, who really had not been seen properly for many years, were given a completely different form of expression by the way light was used on these tapestries, the reaction was extraordinary. I mean, it was yes. really quite moving mm. to see something of that calibre mm. reworked for today. Because yes. I imagine tapestries generally have attracted a certain audience, which is generally an older audience, but specifically for the medieval tapestries. So mm. this is really a way of taking it into decades into the future.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, the light in this is embedded in it. The phosphorescent is in Mm. it. It's like a giant battery that, uh, you know, contains light. Mm. And then when the lights are out, suddenly it begins to uh, illuminate in a different way, though, Mm. because uh, when there is no light on this tapestry, the figuration completely disappears. Mm. And you're left with the text of Revelation that hovers three meters above the ground, which is this area here you have the big structures and then you have the on the six meter tapestries you have the big maps of the Mm. world
0: after coming this far with these tapestries where do you see it going like uh, ideas in your mind that you want to develop this even further for the next where you Uh, are heading
1: well my original idea is to do with the structure of this tapestry have not been how they are shown in the Brussels Cathedral, which are in two long lengths down the ambulatory, uh, in 18 metre lengths. Uh, My initial idea is to have it in a huge elliptical form with two doorways, sort of pathways where you walk in. So you read the apocalypse on the outside, you circumvent this ellipse Mm. and you read the apocalypse and then you walk in and you have the abstractions inside that are, illuminate themselves but are also illuminated by a giant light drawing, which I mm. do. Uh, I, I work with this other form of light. And so I have small tapestries made of this other light mm. uh, that are, you know, you plug them in, they're electric. Um, and they're fantastic. And that, so that the symbolism, which is in the central core, acting like a, light, uh, a fire, illuminates the abstractions. So
0: The other thing I was going to ask you, given the work that you've put in and everyone yeah. overseas will be enjoying this in different places, will it be coming to Australia?
1: It has a program uh, until the end of 2018. So uh, if it's sold, it will stay in Europe. Yeah. If, uh, however, on saying that, I am actually able to do a smaller version. So I don't think I will be doing any versions this big. Uh, I've had to raise finance for it. And the fundraising has taken uh, a lot of work in a way. It's it's interesting with fundraising on projects like this because some people would say it's uh, too religious for the worldly and too worldly for the religious. So it sits in nowhere land in Mm. a sense. Uh, But then that's good in another sense because that's what art does. Art pushes boundaries. And makes people talk. And makes people talk, think. Yeah. And so this this particular project is working on a lot of different levels.
0: Look, thank you so much for coming on the program today. It's been wonderful seeing this work. I wish this was a visual medium and people would really enjoy seeing the work. And well done, because it's a huge undertaking. And to start something, you know, years ago and to see it come into fruition like this must be enormously satisfying.
1: Yes, thank you, Stephen. It has been uh, but as I say, this is one of my projects. I work on many at the same time. Mm-hmm. But this is the biggest one that I've actually uh, worked on in relation to uh, my own work apart from the big shows. But yes, so thank you, thank you. Uh,
0: you've been uh, listening to Stephen Crafty, Talking Design, uh, RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for coming onto to the program.